I would like an itemized copy of my bill. Okay. You do that anywhere else. You should do it. Most hospitals, they may blink, they may not. But if you're asking as you're getting admitted saying... Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. This is the second episode in our little healthcare series we're doing here. But before we get into that, let's check in with my co-host, Justin. What's going on, man? Not too much. This past weekend, we just went up to a little town called Snook, Texas for um, Leslie's aunt's birthday. So just some more family stuff, uh, enjoying the awesome weather we have down here, but not really doing just too much because we have a lot going on the next few weekends. So we're kind of taking it a little slow, but I did actually get a chance to have a virtual kind of local meetup with mostly people who are in Defy out of Boston. As a lot of people know, me and Leslie moved from Boston down here to Austin, Texas. Um, so it's good to catch up with them. And the funny thing is that topic quickly turned into what are people going to do about health insurance when they retire? So I think it's a timely episode. It's on a lot of people's minds right now. How about you, Cody? Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something that's been on a lot of people's minds. I've seen a lot of chatter outside of FI, just in general Facebook groups and people asking questions about health insurance. I know we're recording this right in the midst of the debates. No matter what side you're on, there are things that are changing in health insurance so that, yeah, there's definitely a ton to consider. We had a pretty eventful weekend. On Friday, we went to this haunted house thing. We went out to dinner In Connecticut, Saturday, actually had a friend's birthday. And then on Sunday, we had Lauren's cousin's birthday party. So a lot of birthdays, a little bit of haunted house action, but it was an overall pretty fun weekend. But that's enough about us, Justin. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards, They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. And on today's show, this is the second part of our healthcare series. We have Scott Heiser, the author of Healthcare is Making Me Sick. And what Scott did in this episode was took healthcare from a more general sense. So last week, if you caught up on last week's episode with Lynn and Jackie, we talked about healthcare specifically within the financial independence lens. So like how can entrepreneurs, how can people who are traveling all the time, people who have these unique situations that we see a lot of times in the five community, we talked a lot about HSAs and stuff last week, but this week... Scott gave us a lot of really tactical tips and whether or not you have an abnormal, let's say abnormal tongue in cheek lifestyle, like a lot of people in the fly community, he talks about how you can use transparency tools, how you can kind of shop for doctors like you shop for a pair of sneakers online. 
He also gets into talking about how you can vote with your feet or with your money. Like you can go to the hospital that maybe is 10 miles down the road because that hospital is cheaper or because of X, Y, or Z. So Scott really gets into the nuances of how you as a healthcare consumer can start to make the most informed choices, get the most bang for your buck, and keep yourself in the best health situation possible. Yeah, Cody, you were talking about those transparency tools. And to me, that's kind of the coolest part of this episode is thinking about how healthcare, something super traditional, is going to be disrupted. I mean, every sector in the economy is disrupted in some way by technology. And now it's really starting to get into healthcare, not just the way that it is given, like telehealth, but now the information that the consumers get. So all the data is being captured around healthcare. I mean, whether it be from actual visits or even little things like your Apple Watch or your smartphone, it's just going to keep aggregating and it's going to give people a lot better information to make these decisions off of. And so I'm I'm curious to see where things go. And it's cool that uh, Scott gives us a little light into where things are now. But obviously, we're going to talk about a lot more than just the transparency tools. And if you hear something this episode and you want to go back and uh, get some of the links that's maybe discussed, you can find that at thefyshow.com slash heiser. That's H-E-I-S-E-R, thefyshow.com slash heiser. And with that, take it away, Scott. Well, I was born on a Tuesday, and on Wednesday, I just started thinking about healthcare right away. <laughs> now, it's, it's generally not a, a, a desire for uh, people initially to get involved in this, but I, I got involved through the financial industry a little bit and uh, helped build and develop a practice that was across uh, the Midwest to do employee benefit uh, consulting to employers. And did that for 25 years and did the the classic uh, PE company came in and bought us. And while I was kind of during the earnout period, I really started looking at some of my clients. And this is about mid uh, midway through Obama's second term after uh, Obamacare, aka ACA, came into play. And I was just seeing my clients being the employer's not readily adopting some key techniques that would save their employees money because they weren't maybe administratively convenient for them or necessarily perfect from an administrative standpoint. And it just dawned on me that my whole career I'd been working with, and you know, the employers are great and we saved a lot of money and developed their programs to meet their needs. But was it meeting the need of the average man, average woman to save them money on healthcare? And then secondarily, was the employer the right distribution channel to, to have behavioral changes? Uh, and my conclusion was no. And a quick side story, I was in an employer with about 16,000 employees, and it had come up with a, a, a drug program that's out there called Patients Assistant Programs, where the manufacturers offer significant, and I mean significant, discounts based on your income and or the type of plan you have, a high deductible plan. And the high deductible plan was offered to a third of this group's population, and a third of their population was low minimum wage. So it would have been perfect for them. And they didn't want to do it. And I'm talking about cutting costs. One drug, uh, Eliquis, was a uh, blood thinner, 430 bucks to 10 bucks a month. So it's significant. And they all had $4,000 deductibles. So these people need, need money, and the employer didn't want to do it. And I just stopped and said, I, I need to retool and re-energize and re-look how I, I look at things and want to take it to the you and me, the guys on the street having to pay for this and saying, how should you be looking at healthcare? And then how should you be looking at your insurance? They're two different things, healthcare and health insurance. One is how you pay for it, and one is how you take care of yourself. And what you, should you do to prepare yourself to get the best outcome at the best cost? So I want to empower people to become consumers of healthcare and, and improve their lot. 
So we love on this show to take like tactical things and bring those to the audience. And you said techniques. And when I think about healthcare or health insurance, I never really think about it as this thing I get good at. It's not like, you know, where it's carpentry <laughs> and I go to YouTube and I look up a video and learn techniques. And so I'm like interested to peel that onion a little bit, especially like from the consumer's point of view, because I could see where a company could change the way that they are offering up plans to the individual employees. But as an employee, I get, I feel like handed a couple choices and then I'm kind of stuck with that. So it sounds like you've got some different takes and I just wonder if you could walk us through some of those main categories of techniques that people can use to actually make a difference in their own day-to-day life when they have these choices put in front of them. So to peel the onion back, I, I just started simply and said, most people, and I would imagine you guys are the same because I was the same, think about their health insurance, not their health care, but their health insurance about the time they get the email that says it's time to enroll. And they're given about two weeks and they wait about 13 days before they start. They pick it up and they do it. And they basically say, what did I have last year? How much more is it this year? If it's about the same, done. And that's the the extent of the thought process that goes into it. All right. So let, let me let me go on, on, the, on the doctor's side and picking a provider. So if you're going to pick a provider, now you know who you are. Now you need to go use the phenomenal budding transparency field in healthcare. Uh, what you've got is Silicon Valley really taking off and wanting to get into one-sixth of the economy, which is the healthcare arena. And they're building transparency tools. They're building wearables. You look at Apple, Google, Amazon. So you can now get, when I say transparency tool, how does that apply to picking a doctor? What you can get with a number of different sites out there is cost and quality of providers. You can look up a provider by your region and say, how many procedures have they done? What percentile are they in of their specialty of the procedures that you're going to have performed? So you'll go and look up and I need uh, I need to have a hip replacement. I need a knee replacement. You can literally research doctors in your area. You can research doctors out of your area to determine who's doing the most of those and whoever's doing the most volumes king. They're usually doing the best. And you can get the costs. So now you can, instead of just going purely on a referral or who you know down the street, you can start to get a good quantitative and qualitative information to start making decisions that'll provide you better outcome and potentially better cost. Um, Same with your insurances. Um, And I'll just quickly touch the insurance side. If you're going to pick an insurance plan, you you have estimated what you think you're going to spend next year because you did your health profile. So now you have your health profile. You think you know what you're going to spend. Now look at the plans, and it's real simple. Here's the technique, and it's a pain in the rear end to do, and no one wants to do it, but it's do the math. you got to look at all the components. You get a premium that you pay monthly guaranteed, and then the plans will have deductibles, coinsurance, copays that you pay if you have claims. People oftentimes make a decision on one or the other and don't combine the two, and you want to put it all together and say, what's my total out-of-pocket I'll spend during the year? And what people will find oftentimes, and, and I'm going to caveat, it's there's a cash flow issue. You know, you've got to look if you've got cash flow that you can do. But sometimes the higher deductible plans, if you have a lot of claims, are better programs to be in because you'll get to 100% coverage. You'll blow through the deductible and the coinsurance limits more quickly and get to 100% coverage. So it could cost you less long term to do that than getting a lower deductible plan and paying more monthly premium for that than the other one program. But it's all about do the math. And you can only do the math 
if you understand what you might spend, and then you can apply it to the plans before you. So I, I apologize if I, I hit both of those kind of quickly, but those are general techniques to get you started and how to make choices. I'd really like to dig in a little bit more on this transparency thread that you started because, I mean, I guess luckily for me, I haven't had that many issues. So I haven't been down that road too many times trying to look for a doctor, um, you know, shop around because I was under the military TRICARE system. So that didn't really take place for me. But now I'm in the commercial space. I'm in a civilian job. I do have to worry about these things. And I would have no idea where to start. I mean, are these proprietary tools or how would a normal person sit there and say, I want to figure out if it's worth me driving to this next state over, or even if I'm just looking local and I'm trying to choose between two doctors, what, what are the tools you're using to do this kind of transparency analysis? Great, great question. Well, I've highlighted in the book and our website, a number of different transparency tools that you can go to. One is, I think you mentioned your employer or people who are offered employer plans, go right to your employer plan, go on the website, and they should have a, a cost containment section or when you cho- choose your doctors or put a procedure in, they should give you cost differences between the different positions you have options within your plan. So that's that's a lay down if you have it that way. Uh, if you want to double check that or if you're out on your own and your employer is not offering that tool through you or the insurance company, there's organizations called Amino Health, uh, Fair Health, Guru, U.S. World News and Report Health section that do have uh, Blue Book, Healthcare Blue Book. So there's, I probably list probably 10 that can do um, a different levels of analysis. Uh, what I will say is they're all relatively new. So there, you will, you will uh, as you look at one to look to the other, you think, oh, the same doctor will come up and I'll get, I'll be able to compare to two different uh, databases and come up with the same answer. Not always the case. Uh, it's always not always the case that they've covered every single spot of the country as they're building their businesses. So what I encourage people to do is try them, try them all, look at them, and then compare the different databases and and come to your own conclusions. But what it'll do is definitely do is it'll give you a starting point directionally, data to work off of, that then if you peel back and you go to your primary care physician and get their opinion, you, you can get referrals from your friends and family you and other people that have had the procedures so that's what I, why I would recommend people with a, with a certain condition to do. On the other side of how much you spend and is it worth your time, that's doing the math again. Look at the plan you have. What are your deductibles, your coinsurance? Is it worth you? If, if you have a $5,000 deductible and then you go to 100% coverage and you're in San Francisco and you, you only have $50 more on your deductible to – so you're at $4,950 what, what – there's a high likelihood most people aren't going to drive to Phoenix to do that. <laughs> Not, I think that's a problem with our healthcare system because your your employer or, or the insurance company that should be incentivizing you to find the lowest place. Uh, those, those plans, I think, ultimately will get here. They're not here quite yet. But we should be all shopping like we do or a pair of gym shoes or a TV or our phone. Uh, and, and one of the excuses everybody has about why they don't shop, it's too complicated. All right, so let's do a little role reversal. For you guys, you're, you're a bit younger than I am. So when you look at technology, piece of cake. You know, you're, you're rolling off of it and no big deal. To me, that's you know, challenging for me more so. When I look at the healthcare, it's the roles reverse. My point would be is everybody has the capacity to do it. It's the interest in doing it. And with something that is if you look at the assets, so financial, we've got a financial show here. What is the greatest asset you ever have in your life? 
that's your life. I mean, that is the greatest asset. And we spend the least amount of time focusing on you. Most people do spend the least amount of time taking care of themselves and spending on time, time to it. So I'm just, I'm trying to encourage people to spend a little bit more time. The information is there. It takes some work, but so does figuring out the right phone. I think if somebody picks a phone, what phone plan, what areas of coverage is covered overseas? There's so many questions layered on it. What apps can I get off of it? It goes on and on and on, as does the healthcare. So it's your interest level. And if you spend a little bit of time with it, and, and you probably won't spend time with it until you have a cause, but take a step back when you have a cause, like any business problem you have or financial problem, don't just rush through, step back. Because I'll, I'll give you a side note on this. When you have a health condition, a serious health condition, Statistically, it's been found that you lose 70 to 75% of your cognitive reasoning. So your mind basically goes to mush. And then if you add financial pressure associated with that health decision on top of it, you, you further deteriorate your mental capacities of making a good decision. You don't hear clearly. So you do need to step back. And what I, I strongly encourage, too, on any of these decisions, to find an advocate. Advocate can be a friend, a coworker, can be uh, another business partner, or someone at a, at a church, or at a function, or an organization you're in. Find somebody that'll help you uh, slow it down and ask questions. Uh, because some of the smartest people in the world, when it comes to their own health, make some really bad decisions. I kind of want to take this to just quickly to like a 10,000 foot view because, I mean, this confuses me a lot. And people will ask me because they know I'm like, know stuff about finance. But I don't know the answer to this question 99% of the time. Like, what does insurance actually cover? And obviously, this could go on for an hour. You could answer this question in as many ways as you possibly can. But from a really high level, like, how can you kind of think and conceptualize that question? Man, this is you, – you led into that question very well that it could go on forever. And <laughs> this is the part where people usually snooze and tune out. And I even wrote in my book, I said, please, or just read with me, bear with me. If you understand some of these things, it's like pulling teeth, but you need to have them. Um, not exciting, stimulating information. So basically, the, the plans out there, the, the ACA-compliant Obamacare plans, comprehensive programs – what they're going to, they're going there's 10 essential healthcare coverages that they cover. And that's, we don't have time to go through this, but basically soup to nuts. They cover everything that can be seen out there that, that's, that's currently being used. It's not experimental. So they'll, they'll cover all of those. Now, there will be amounts that you have to contribute before the plan starts to pay. And those differ based on how much premium you spend. So the higher the premium, and the amounts you have to spend are deductible, called deductibles, copays, and coinsurance. Deductible is straight, pretty straightforward. Is you have to pay a certain amount of money before the plan starts to pay. Okay, you have a thousand dollar deductible, so you have to spend a thousand bucks before the insurance plan will pay anything. Secondarily, they have coinsurance, and what the plan says at that point is the plan will pay eighty after you've spent a thousand dollars. The panel, the plan will pay. 80% of all claims of the next $3,000 of claims that come in, and you have to pay 20. And then after that $3,000 that comes through, the plan will pay 100% thereafter of everything. Then there's a, another category. It's a little bit of twist, and it'll come in on drugs and office visits and sometimes emergency rooms. They'll have co-pays. So regardless where you are in your deductible and your coinsurance, the copays will be assessed every time you go to a physician. 
physician's office or every time you have a pharmacy, which is a brand generic, there's different levels. So that, that's basically how that works and the, how the plans pay. And that's where I alluded to earlier, you have to do the math because you might, if you have a higher deductible plan, maybe it's a $5,000 deductible instead of the thousand I talked about, you'll get a lower monthly premium and that's the amount you have to pay to have that insurance program. So you're spending less money guaranteed on a monthly basis. And if you have a large claim that comes in that's over $5,000, you might get there quicker than going through deductibles and coinsurance and get to the 100% coverage more quickly. So you end up getting 100% coverage faster for a lower price. And you would have spent the same amount of money, but spent more to have a lower deductible. Try to explain that well. That's it's hard to see without math on a, on a piece of paper. But it, that's where you got to really sit down and do that math with it to see what makes the most sense. But then it comes back to what you guys probably deal with all the time is cash flow. So, yeah, Scott, that sounds all great and good, but I ain't got 5000 bucks to just throw around if I get sick. What do I do with that? And, and that's where you, you ha- can get creative. And that gets in some of the book where I said if you've developed – a good relationship with your physician you're effectively communicating you've got to negotiate with them it's like buying anything you, you should ask what the price is and that's very uncomfortable sometimes but you should ask price you should ask payment plans you can ask and, and usually most doctors that you have a good relationship with if you say look this is on my bill this is on my dime i got this five thousand bucks you got can you help me what can you do people have been known to get payment plans for their doctors for their deductible pay over time not all up at front um, they've been known if they pay cash on certain parts, they can get 15% discounts. So there are ways to approach it. There's another way. How many credit cards do you guys get offered a year? Oh man, <laughs> hundred. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll, th- they'll throw it at most everybody. And, and what's, you guys would be better than me, but what's generally an introductory, if, can you get 500 bucks? Can you get a thousand? Uh, probably less than that. Probably like 200 bucks. All right, 200 bucks or something. But so even so, if you got a couple of those cards, and I'm, I'm not, you might want to edit this part. I'm not suggesting everybody get 10 credit cards out there. <laughs> but but you see my point is you could go get a credit card, get it, get it for amount of what your deductible is, put it in a drawer. Don't use it. Now, that's a horrible use of management if what's 18% on a credit card these days. Yeah, something right. like that. <laughs> Sounds so about right. Bad, Bad cash management, but if you roll back into what I was saying that you lose how much cognitive reasoning you lose with a healthcare situation tied with financials, if you can find a way to lower your healthcare premium costs, your insurance costs by buying a higher deductible plan and sticking a credit card in the drawer to so alleviate you your concern if you can't cover the deductible, there's one way of approaching it. So you've started kind of talking about some of those tips and tricks that I wanted to get into, which is, okay, you've done the research, you figured out where you want to go. Maybe you haven't done the research, but either way, like you have already been to a doctor and now like the billing has started. And you mentioned some ideas around talking to the provider around payment plans, paying with cash. Are there any other tips and tricks as far as once you are already lined up pre your post, but you know, you've already lined up with a specific uh, physician, they're going to do you know a surgery or whatever it may be, and now you're trying to navigate and to get the best price after you're already tied to that person. And then not only just tips and tricks, but maybe what are some things that people do that they shouldn't be doing that's actually costing them more money, whether it be how they handle filing the insurance or, or whatever it might be. Okay, let's start first things first with you, you 
got a procedure, you know, you're going to do it. You've picked the doctor and we'll just, let's just say you've done all the work and it's the right person to do it at the, at the best, um, outcomes. Um, what you want, and let's call it a surgery that you're going to go into a hospital with what you should always do. And, and 99% of people don't, when they ask you to sign the paperwork, when you're being admitted, um, don't say you'll pay. There's, there's lines in there. that will basically say you'll pay anything. You'll pay anything that's submitted to you. This is about the balance billing area. What you're willing to pay is what your plan pays uh, and up to that limit and no more. Um, so that's number one. The other two thing you should do is you said, I would like an itemized copy of my bill. Okay. You do that anywhere else. You should do it. Most hospitals, they may blink. They may not. But if you're asking as you're getting admitted saying, when I leave, I want an itemized listing because you may be able to find where they've double paid you or not. Uh, double charge you, excuse me, for certain uh, situations. The other thing you want to talk to them about is you've got a $5,000 deductible. Insurance is going to pay the, the the remaining amounts. A lot of hospitals, excuse me, hospitals may work with you on that if they know, and they do know, if you have a 5000 bill and then you're going to get 100% after that from the insurance company, they know they're going to get, let's say it's a hundred grand bill, they're going to get 95% of the bill paid. You could sit and talk to them about your five and see if you can work out an arrangement with them. If you paid cash, would they reduce that a little bit? Would they do that on a payment plan? So even though you sit back and say, well, it's only five and I have to pay the hospital that and then the insurance company covers it, you can still, the only way you're going to be involved with that is on that 5,000. So you need to talk to about them about that, how they'll take it, understanding, and this is the key part, they're going to get 95% of their bill paid. They're really covered. If you, if you look at it, they're making their nut already. So you should be able to negotiate with them on on that that portion of it. Uh, but it's how you do it. And if you come in informed, if you come in and just it's like anything else, um, bees are attracted to honey. And uh, if you if you work it and you're you're well versed, uh, you you have an opportunity with that. I can also so then shopping on too before you make the commitment. I'll take I'll take a couple examples of MRIs. And that's low hanging fruit, but it's it's easy to talk about. Um, I had. Uh, herniated discs and a uh, gentleman, a doctor wanted me to get a MRI at the facility that he owned. And I was just going to roll over and I asked the cost and they, he said he didn't know, but the administrator would, his administrator would know they wouldn't disclose the cost. So I said, that's okay. I'll go out and get another one. And I knew there was a freestanding MRI. Well, they called me back in two weeks and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And that's not a, a good sign of me to being, you know, do, diligent as I was. <laughs> but uh, they offer. I told them I thought I could get one for six hundred bucks, and they they told me of one that I could get it for three fifty. Doing just normal things that you do for other consumer good items, you can get movement, but you have to stop. You have to ask questions, and then you have to shop to do that. Uh, and you can come out with different outcomes. I want to kind of pivot and talk about your book for a little bit. And I know we've mentioned it in passing, and I know you've referenced it a couple of times here, but something you just mentioned there and kind of a theme, or at least something you touch on in your book is just like some of the systemic issues we have in healthcare right now. Like you were saying, yes, at least they know they're getting their nut. Like the insurance company is paying 95% of that. And the fact that you as an individual have no like say as to what that cost is, is kind of scary. One, like those prices are just kind of inflating everything in the healthcare system. 
And I kind of just want to get your take on like what you see as some of the major flaws in the system, whether or not those flaws are getting addressed. Is it one major factor? Is it a confluence of many different factors? And basically just your thoughts overall on like what are some of the major pain points right now in the healthcare system for an individual? Great. Good. You've got fabulous questions. They're way open-ended, <laughs> wide universe questions. I should have covered this in the beginning. One of the major problems we have with the system is it's third-party system. We, the consumer, are not engaged in the purchase price. And what happens to any commodity product where the consumer is disconnected from the price and the decision? The prices go through the roof because somebody else is paying the bill. You know, if, if I'll go back to the car analogy. If someone's going to offer me a Bugatti versus a Yugo and I don't have to make a decision with it, I know where my I don't I know what I chose every every single time, except maybe for the insurance and gas. You know, I could, I could have to think about that. But that, that's the biggest problem. And what we have is the government providers and insurance companies sitting at the table negotiating with each other. And having a good time with it. And there, there's games that go on in every single way. It's like any other business, doctors will throw the price up to X and they'll do it X plus 10%. So when the insurance company comes in and negotiates and says, I got 50% off, the hospital gets what they wanted anyway, basically. And it's just they, it just keeps rolling each year. And then the government's backstopping a lot of that. What I'm trying to do with the book and with everybody is to say, even though we may not be able to beat that right away, we deserve to be at the table because you know who pays for that? Us. And, the lo- <laughs> and, we, and we, we pay through it through health insurance, but people that aren't using their health insurance pay for it too because it comes out in taxes. It comes out through Medicare, Medicaid taxes. We're paying for that. So we need to start asking the questions using the transparency tools to have everybody slow down and say, wait a minute, I'm the consumer. I'm, I'm not upset. I'm upset with this. That's getting to your, your representatives and talking about it with them. It's using the internet to expose things. I mean, look at the hashtag me too situation. It's just a couple of years ago. Icons, icons of the movie industry are gone and it happened in lightning quick speed. So and let me roll forward on that. So the, I, the most encouraged, I, I'm the most encouraged I've been in a number of years because of a couple of things. Obamacare legitimized cost shifting to the ge- general individual. Everybody has high deductible plans now. So everybody's feeling pain, whether you're an employer or you're buying it on your own. The transparency revolution, I think is an uh, appropriate word, has started and it's well underway. And once that genie gets out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. And number three, as a society, I mean, you've got 80-year-olds and eight-year-olds using iPhones and, and Google phones and all the phones and using technology. And it's at your fingertips, and it's an acceptable way of doing and running your life. And when you put those three together, I think it's a really open window. The aperture is wide open for a consumer to start to make an impact if they take the time and effort to uh, use the tools and have some communication with the, the players in place. Because those players in place aren't really going to move until I think the consumers do it. Now, there's there's some things going on. Amazon, Berkshire, and Chase all formed an entity two, two and a half years ago. Um, 
And they are bringing, obviously, Chase has got the financial side of it. Berkshire's bringing insurance. And Amazon's bringing uh, the technology aspect and distribution. But they formed their own healthcare company. And they're using it for their employees now. And where they're going to do, they're breaking the model. It's not going to be the classic insurance company or a hospital. They are using everything through technology. So you guys go in, you go to a doctor right now. The, your first communication with the doctor, your first meeting will be telemedicine online. After that, everything's recorded. Your health record's recorded. It all goes. And that person makes referrals to the rest of the system for you. Um, but you have access to look at it all and they're going to start controlling the system that way with the hope of negotiating then in broader uh, swatches or packages to the provider communities with their, their employee population and they got a million, about a million people to put through those plans to see how that works uh, so I, th I think that's that's the beginning of breaking it down and then there's some other programs where insurance like companies or self-insured plans for employers uh, large employers are only paying a portion, uh, Medicare plus 10%, 20%, 30%. They're using Medicare, which is a universal price structure for every single county across the U.S. filed every year. And they are saying, I'm only going to pay so much over that. And that's it. That will crack the insurance companies. That'll cause them to change dramatically how they're playing. So the one aspect that we haven't covered here yet is those people who are actually giving us these treatments, the physicians themselves. And so I'm curious if you think that this reform and the transparency that we're moving towards, does it just kind of cut out a lot of the huge profits from the healthcare companies themselves and maybe pharmaceutical companies, or will it negatively impact those who are trying to make a profession out of being a physician? That's a great question. Yeah, because everybody will have to play. Um, a lot of the physician practices now have been bought by hospitals, and that's a byproduct of the, the, the ACA program with Obama. But there are still independents out there, and uh, more more so the specialists. They, they will have skin in the game. They have skin in the game now. So they will they will bear some of the, the pressures, cost pressures. As the hospitals get pushed or the insurance company gets pushed, excuse me, insurance company gets pushed, the hospital gets pushed. The hospital gets pushed, they're going to push the, the physicians downstream. So yeah, they'll, they'll bear some of that, a portion of it. The Generally, the margins are in the hospitals and with the insurance companies. I'll give you an example. It was between 13, 2013, 14, and 16 hospitals. Uh, if they're a for-profit hospital, average markup 600%. Uh, if it's a, it's a nonprofit, it'll be somewhere in the 350 range. So there's loads of opportunity there. Um, the physicians, those can be addressed directly with not attacking the physicians, to as you you were concerned about, right, rightfully so. And and there the ways to do that are, are address the hospital bills, like I told you about. The insurance companies are a little bit more challenging because of the control they have, but that's happening with the Amazons of the world and the Medicare Plus pricing I told you about. That'll start to happen if in change the insurance. Uh, company's perspective on that, what they're doing. The insurance companies made a killing with Obamacare. They were they they were whining so much about Obamacare, uh, and that's another whole chapter we could go through. But uh, and it really is not relevant to the individual, except you which is an individual individual you should know. The insurance companies making more money now than they did before Obamacare, and if you know that, you should get a little bit angry, and the anger should be turned into motivation, 
And the motivation should go into the research and finding different prices and different different ways to do things and seeking it out. I just wanted to pull a thread real quick on one thing you said, which was around these nonprofit hospitals. Because I know in the, the hometown I grew up in, the largest employer in our town is the hospital. And it is a, you know, whatever they call it, like a county-owned uh, hospital. It is a nonprofit hospital. Where is all this money going? If there's 350% markup, it's supposed to be a nonprofit. Where's the profits going? So a couple different ways I want to take this. One, to, to prove the profits are there, most cities you drive through, and I'm not sure in your town is this way, if you look at the uh, cranes building new buildings, <laughs> a lot of them are associated with hospitals, and they're building new buildings. You can ask a lot of them what kind of financing they're getting. They're not, a lot of them are not asking for state or local financing to help them. So they're getting the money, and the money's there. They used to say, and there was there was some truth in that, They, the hospital's complaint would be, we had a lot of indigent care. In the U.S., the fallacy in the U.S. is that if you don't have health care coverage, you get denied. Um, hospitals are required to take you. Now, do you get the absolute top level of care when you go in? That's questionable. I mean, maybe you don't. But they have to take you. So the hospital has to take you. So that's called, called the indigent care. They have a loss because they covered you. So they would say, we have to cover that. And they would shift that through people who are paying. The interesting thing with Obamacare is they, and it's debatable whether it was 20 million or 30 million uninsured Americans at the time, that dropped down. They dropped about 20 million out. There's been some that, so that's reduced to about 10 million. There's some say that 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 has swelled again a little bit. But the point of the matter is 20 million Americans got, got insurance and could now pay. And the hospitals didn't lower their rates. So the indigent, my point is the indigent care dropped where they were having to pay on their own. They are now getting paid through insurance. And I didn't see any of the hospital rates drop. Uh, so let's go back to your your county, your situation where one horse town uh, with the hospital. That's where you do medical tourism. And that's where the businesses should get together and do medical tourism and say, we're going to pay for people to drive to the next town or the next community to get other care. I, John Doe, when I walk in and I'm going to have my knee surgery, say, well, hold it. It's worth me driving to Pittsburgh or where, you know, wherever I need to drive to do it. Or drive to Houston. From, and Austin's got great health care with UT. But you know, my point is you have, to, you have to vote with your feet and your pocketbook. And that's the only way they start doing it. And I know that does it because I worked in some small towns and consulted in them. And the hospitals would make different choices when they saw – people moving, moving away. But it takes a collective effort, again, individually, and then through maybe some of the local employers to do that. And it takes, here's the will, and that's why I think the employers are not always the best to do it. It's not in their DNA to be running health plans. It is in ours. Um, So that's why I'm trying to incentivize people to see that they can have a voice and make a difference, even in one-horse towns. One of the last things I want to touch on here, and you've used the word employee. I know at the beginning you're saying, you know, people are lazy. They're just going to pick the same health coverage they had last year. But unfortunately, in 2020 and with open enrollment coming right around the corner in a couple of weeks here, a lot of people do not have those same jobs anymore or they just recently lost their job. Whatever the time frame might be, I know it's different, whether it's like within 60 days. But what are some options available to people who either a like just lost their job a couple of weeks ago or maybe they've been jobless since the start of COVID? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And one that, that got the 
hackles on the back of my neck going up and it was more during April and March, April and May when the press would come out and talk about the horrific situation. Everybody's losing their job and they're losing their health care and, and the world's crashing and these people are going to die on the street. And that would be the end of the article. And of course, they did lose their job and they did lose their health insurance and they had health bills. The one thing about Obamacare, there's a couple things about Obamacare and, and I, I was more of an opponent than a proponent of it, but it did away with pre-existing conditions, it, meaning if I'm sick, I can get health care still. It made coverage unlimited. It couldn't be capped. And so that, that was a great thing too. And then it allowed people to make choices with those two determinants and get coverage when they needed it with the subsidies that it offered. So it offered subsidies. And what I would have found fault with these papers and these, these newscasts is they didn't say, here's what Obamacare does for you. It's out there. It exists. If your income, the way you report your income in applying for health insurance through Obamacare is on a prospective basis. It's not on a re re uh, retrospective basis. Meaning, if I don't have to show my W-2 or my earnings from the previous year, and that's what I'm going to be held to. It's what I think I'm going to make. Couple that with if I lose my job, that's and I get to do that every year, once a year at open enrollment. If I lose my job, that's called a qualifying life event. I'm allowed to now reapply for health insurance. And I can now say, my income, I've lost my job. This year, I'm, I, I'm going to be out of work, I think, for three or four months. I can prospectively project that, and that's what I report on my application. I did this. So if you take the average wage in the U.S., $63,000, took a family of four, said I, I did this in April, and I said at the time I was hopeful <laughs> that it was only going to be 90 days, cut their income by a quarter, redid the numbers. That insurance went from $1,000 a month for a family of four with the $3,000 deductible to $166. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Both of your guys' eyes. Okay. So that's why I was so incensed with the way everybody was just scaring people to death. Now, comebacks to that are, Scott, I don't have 166 bucks. I lost my job. I would counter with that. If you have a health condition and you're looking at five, 10, 20, $50,000 bills, $166 is worth getting to cover those bills and have peace of mind. And that, then we go back to what are the techniques to do that? You know, if you were prepared up front, uh, whether that's credit cards, however, you know, you lie, cheat and steal to get that 166 bucks um, to make it happen. But that's the reality of what Obamacare has. Um, and so you should look there. So even if your employer, you get, you get a big whopper increase from your employer and they change your plan from a $1,000 deductible to a $3,000 deductible. You should shop. Go on to healthcare.gov and, and look. Um, and certainly if you're buying it yourself, you should go there. Now, if you that's still too high and you don't have a pre-existing condition, big if, but if you don't, there's other options out there. There's, uh, I will call them Christian programs, but there's Jewish programs, Islamic programs, Christian programs that if you're of the faith, there are, uh, one, there's different companies out there, multiple companies, and I, I reference them in the book, where you can join, and it's more of an association, and you have health care coverage, but up to a certain amount, 
And then after that, they have literally what they'll call prayer requests that people contribute. So it's the basic insurance. You buy a, a, a lower level, and then when it gets to a more of a catastrophic care, you submit to the membership, and the membership contributes more. Those programs, and I oversimplified all that. Literally, it's worth buying the book or researching it because I had an individual that couldn't afford a $1,500 insurance premium for he and his wife for plan. They had no issues. They were over 50. They went to a Christian program, was 300 bucks a month. Now, it doesn't cover everything, and it's, it hates the Christian values, so it doesn't cover birth control, for example, because they don't believe in birth control. It doesn't cover if you're for alcoholism because it says you can't drink in excess when you're on it. So it has some drawbacks. And, and if you had a pre if I had a heart condition pre-existing, it wouldn't pay for 12 months on that situation. But otherwise, it was a pretty good deal for this individual. And then a third step down from there are limited programs or or short-term programs. And they're exactly what they are. They have pre-existing conditions. They will only pay a certain limited amount um, or for just a year. Those are the least in my book of, of what I would recommend. And again, those only if you had pre-existing conditions, you didn't have any. But if you're younger, younger male, if you're 26, 27, 28 year old male, you know, Uberman, you're not going to get sick. You're probably going to have a catastrophic event or anything else. So maybe you try those. That, that's kind of the whole lay of the land and, and how you might approach it to, to reduce costs. But because of Obamacare, there are options and subsidies out there and, and you should definitely try looking at those. So the last little thing I had, and I think this will just be a kind of a quick answer one, but every time I listen to a podcast, I'll hear one thing that I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that and blame it on my resourceful nature. But when you said that you could kind of prospectively think about what your income was going to be, and that might really lower what you would pay for healthcare, I could see some people being a little optimistic, if you want to use that word, and and project their income to be lower than what it ends up actually being. And if you do that and you get that lower rate, how does that work as far as being penalized for guessing under what you actually made? Good point. And and so let's let's just let's say you didn't. It wasn't even a guess. You guessed right, but you get a job more quickly than you thought. So your income pops back up. So then the government will reassess based on your actual income and apply the subsidy that applies to the portion of income that you actually earned. So there there, there could be a payback on it. Okay, so the per a person should be kind of like prepared to have this bill that could be maybe even a few months all at once where they're recouping where you underpaid? Could be, could be. Uh, okay, just want to keep people safe out there and not just, you know, lowball everything and think <laughs> and then not be prepared for the, the bill that comes in the mail. Exactly, that's an excellent point to make. Well, Scott, I think that will wrap up today's episode on healthcare. We have learned, I mean, I've learned so much. You do an awesome job of breaking things down to the layman's terms where someone who's not a healthcare expert, someone who's not constantly digging in this field can understand, aka me. So really appreciate that. And people should definitely go and you know check out your book and all your resources. But for people who don't know where to do that, where is the best place where people can learn more about you and get in contact with you and read your book? You can go on Amazon and look up Healthcare is Making Me Sick. It's there. And or you can go on our website called uncoveredhc.com. The website is an ongoing effort from the start of the book to continue with changes in the marketplace and uh, what's needed to be due uh, to manage your healthcare more effectively. 
Well, me and Cody both appreciate you coming on the show and going deep into this topic. This is definitely one of those topics that is important to every person, or at least it should be. But it's also one of those topics that I think most people would be the least knowledgeable on. So we really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some time to pick your brain. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.